Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Because uh, I'm Asian and we Asian guys love wise sayings, you know, we, we love the idea of collections of wisdom, um, but I love especially Proverbs because it contains wisdom better than any other. It's divine wisdom. And Proverbs 3 especially is one of the hallmarks. It's one of the, the crowning jewels of this great book. And it contains perhaps the most often quoted passage in the Old Testament in, in verses 5 through 6. I want to share with you today some of the marks of true wisdom as, as it's presented to us in Scripture. And one of the most prominent themes throughout the book of Proverbs is this distinction between the person who is wise and the person who is called a fool. Now, we use the word fool in all kinds of ways, but there's a very technical way in which the Bible uses the word fool. And it's really developed well in the book of Proverbs. The wise person is, a, a, is one such way, and the fool is completely the opposite way of that person. And the wise person draws their wisdom from the wisdom of God. Now, what does the Bible mean when it uses the word wise? Because everybody has a different meaning for what wise means. Well, here we get a hint at what the Bible might mean by looking ahead in in chapter 3 there at verses 19 and 20. And listen to what it says. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations, and by understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. Now, what that's saying is that it was through wisdom that God arranged and designed the whole created universe the way it is. And as somebody who's gone a pretty long way in studying science, I continue to marvel at how much the deeper we peer into science, the more beauty we see. It's an amazing testimony to the intelligence, the wisdom of God in putting all this together. We discover systems, but God thought them up. And it was through wisdom that he created a universe which even after the fall of mankind continues to work very beautifully. Everything works. And and as we look at that, we begin to understand what God's wisdom is all about. It is a wisdom that interacts with reality in a way that it just gets it. It's a wisdom that understands how things really are, how things really work, and it allows the person with that wisdom to navigate the world very successfully. And when I say successfully, I don't just mean making lots of money. I almost never mean that when I use the word successful. But what I mean is you get through life getting the experience you were intended to get, getting the results we're supposed to get. We experience the universe the way it's supposed to be. Do you know anybody like that? Somebody who just seems to get it. They may not be an expert in the particular field you work in, but you go to them for advice because even though they have no business sense, they have good sense. They just have wisdom. And I think it's really important that we understand the distinction. I might even make, it, make uh, the case this way. There seems to be a difference between wise and smart. And I'm going to use smart in a very narrow definition. Wise and smart. Smart, and this is a pretty crude stereotype, so don't be too angry with me. But smart might be like this dude, right? A very geeky nuclear physicist, engineer, programmer, or something who knows an incredible amount of information about a very narrow band of human life. 
You talk about his field, he knows everything. And smart, I think of, in terms of a massive collection of information. They're good conversationalists when you get them on their topic. You know what I'm talking about? But then there's wise, which is kind of like this guy. You're old as, as I am, you recognize him. This is MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson. You, know, you young kids know him from Stargate, but give me a break. That's MacGyver. He'll be MacGyver for the rest of his life. Just like William Shatner will always be Captain Kirk, right? MacGyver is an old TV show for you youngins. He could pick a lock with a light bulb filament or a piece of chewing gum wrapper. He could get out of any situation because he understood how everything worked. It didn't matter if he'd never been in that situation before. That made it even more exciting because he would put together all the pieces of wisdom and he would find a way out. And if you ask me, if you gave me the choice between having lots of information in one thing or having a much more well-rounded understanding of the way reality just works, I would pick wise over smart any day of the week. Now, of course, we're not just talking about picking your way out of jail cells with household items, but we're talking about life. This complicated, strange, unpredictable mess that we call life with marriages that don't always work the way we want, with children that don't always behave the way we want, with other people who don't say yes when we ask them to go out with us, with bosses who don't give us promotions when we want. We can't figure this whole thing out. It's a mess in a way. And imagine the benefit, the advantage given to us if instead of just trying to get more technical information, God would give us this sense of real wisdom about how reality works so that we could find a way through anything. Well, Proverbs really describes, it spells out an amazing case for this kind of wisdom. And I want to point out several marks of real biblical wisdom for you that come out of Proverbs 3. I think the first mark of true biblical wisdom is knowing who to trust. You know, I think it's one of the great ironies of living in the United States that on our money, which happens to be the greatest idol presented in the Bible, competing for our loyalties with God, that on our money, on every piece of it is printed, in God we trust. Of course, American atheists hate that, but it's funny, every time we handle money, we're reminded where our trust really should go. But I think we're hard-pressed to argue that that's in fact how American life works, even among American Christians. Do we really place all of our trust in God? Look at what it says at the very beginning. Oh boy, that's what you get when you cut and paste. Verse 5 doesn't say that. Let me tell you what it says. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do you see the, the, the comparison there? There's one thing we're supposed to do and there's another thing that we're absolutely not supposed to do. If you want to be wise, you need to know who to trust. And the truth is, biblically speaking, trust is not an abstract word. It's just not an abstract word. We think of trust as the way we feel about something, but trust is, is really most visible by how we arrange our lives, by the things we actually do. You know, back in 2005, I was hanging backwards on a rope over the edge of a 60-foot cliff in Vancouver. I was with a group from the Aero Leadership Program, and one of the things they were trying to teach us was to overcome our fears. Now, I'm an adrenaline junkie, so it was just a nice little trip for me. 
There were guys, big guys, six foot four, giant guys, weeping openly because of their fear of heights. And the, the task was to attach ourselves by a rope. And I don't know all the technical terms, but, you know, the rope, you tie a knot around your belly or something. And you tie the other end around a, a tree, and then you just start walking backwards over the edge of a cliff, and you rappel down 60 feet down this sheer drop. Everybody else walked over to the edge and looked down, but I was like, I don't want to see it until I'm hanging over it. So I just waited. And then this guide tied the rope around the tree, and I started running backwards and leaped over the edge. Now here's the thing. I'm not trying to tell you I'm like braver. What I'm saying is it's a measure of how much I trusted two things. The rope and that guide who tied the knot. See, I could trust verbally or theoretically, but until I went over the edge, my trust had absolutely no value or meaning. And when I jumped over, as I was in the air, my last thought was, I really hope that guy tied a good knot. And it was one of the most exhilarating jumps of my life. It was unbelievable. I wish I could go rappelling again. It says that biblical wisdom is knowing in whom we can safely, confidently put all our trust. And listen to what it says. It says, trust in the Lord. If you look at your Bible, it's probably going to have the, Lord, the, the word Lord printed in all capital letters. And I've said this to you guys before. Any time in your Bibles, in the English Bible, you see the word Lord in all capitals, that's their way of saying this is the personal name of God. God is no longer referring to himself as the God. It's more like he's saying, hey, I'm God, you know me. It's my name, the way Dave is my name. The capital letters L-O-R-D stand for Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. He's saying, in other words, that he's not asking you to trust in a distant, transcendent, faraway God who oversees the universe. He's asking you to place your trust in a God whose name you know. A God with whom you can be on a first-name basis. I've, I've said this to you before. I feel much closer to the people who call me Dave than Pastor Dave in the sense that like Pastor Dave still reminds me, oh, I am my job. But when you guys call me Dave, it makes me feel kind of good, like, like we know each other. And if you're uncomfortable calling me Dave, don't force yourself. It's all right. I don't want to freak you out. But I don't want you to ever feel uncomfortable just calling me Dave. Because that's my name. And in our society, when you want to be intimate with somebody, it is called being on a first name basis. And it is this God, this God, who we know by name, who says, you can put your trust in me, and I'll make sure that that trust is justified. He also says, don't lean on your own understanding. And, and lean, really, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's when you press your weight against something, hoping it'll hold you up. Okay? Hoping it'll hold you up. Anything else you lean on will not support the weight of your life. You know, what's wrong with our own understanding? Is God suggesting that we're all dolts? That we're so stupid that our own understanding is always flawed? Of course not. Sometimes our own understanding isn't so far off from the mark. But what he's saying is, if you have access to the wisdom of God, no other source of wisdom can possibly compete. This is not a way of, 
of somehow making lower, insulting our understanding, but of elevating the wisdom available to us in God. Why would you ever want my advice on programming or business if Bill Gates were in the room ready to talk to you? Do you get what I'm talking about? It's not like I don't know anything about business. I just don't know anywhere near as much as that guy. And part of biblical wisdom is knowing where do you go, which source do you trust when what you need is most abundantly supplied in one place versus another. The other problem with trusting our own understanding is that it symbolizes all the other wrong places where you try to lean your weight, hoping it'll carry you, and it just doesn't. Some of us have placed our entire weight on a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse, hoping they will never fail me. They will always be there for me. They will never say the wrong things or do the wrong things. They're going to be perfect. And let me ask you, how's that working out so far? Go ahead and elbow the person sitting next to you if you're married to them. How's that working out so far? Have you leaned your entire sense of well-being and security on that person and they have always been there for you, never let you down, never disappointed you? Have you met anyone or found anything that can bear the full weight of you? With all your junk, all your confusion, all your insecurity, all of it, have you ever found anyone? Because God says you've got to know who to trust. Let me tell you a story about this guy. If you look closely, he's hanging on the edge of a cliff, but he's got an artificial leg. This is Craig DeMartino. Back in 2002, he was climbing the Sundance Buttress in Rocky Mountain National Park. And he was there, he's a very experienced climber. He was there with his friend Steve Gorm, who also has 20 years plus of climbing experience. He was about 96 feet up this one face, when he misheard, there was a tragic miscommunication with his partner. He thought that his belay line had been secured. He, in fact, thought he'd heard his partner shout that up to him when his partner had said no such thing. And he jumped off where he was. And he plunged 100 feet straight down, landed. And he fell vertically like, like this and landed right on his feet in a standing position. He survived that, but it shattered a bunch of his vertebrae. It destroyed one leg, he had to get amputated, punctured his lung. He was messed up for a very long time. And he learned some things that day about trust. Even though you are experienced and your partner is experienced 20 years plus, you cannot just trust your own experience because we are fallible. And it was a tragic miscommunication. It wasn't that his friend had tried to betray him. It was just one of those horrible things that just happens in life because none of us is going to bat a thousand in anything. You could be perfectly, perfectly experienced and still screw up and one day it will have tragic consequences. He also learned that he can't even trust his own ears he swears up and down, he remembers his friend shouting it. His friend says, I never shouted a thing. You can't even trust your own ears. What he did learn after that accident is that he can trust Jesus Christ. He was a nominal Christian, but this accident led him to recommit his heart and his trust in Jesus Christ, who he realized is the only one who can hold up the weight of our lives. And so he started a ministry called After the Fall, and he's a very sought-after speaker and an inspirational speaker. It also says that we're supposed to lean or trust in God with all our hearts. And let me just say this about that. 
There is a part of us called our heart, that vulnerable, deepest part of ourselves which we guard instinctively. That part of us that if someone hurts it, we're wrecked. And it's that part which God says we can safely entrust to Him. He doesn't want you just to trust Him with the leftover money, with the the extra 500 from your tax refund uh, or something like that. What He's saying is, no, I don't want just the little stuff. You can actually trust me with the deepest part of where you are, where you feel most vulnerable and afraid. If you give that to me, I will not abuse that trust. No one else can hold you up. But if you trust that to God, you will discover God to be a very, very faithful friend. Let me give you a second mark of true biblical wisdom, and that is acknowledging God in all our ways. You know, when an officer of the law flashes their badge at you, you've got a quick choice you've got to make, don't you? We've got several officers of the law here in this room. When they flash their badge at you, you've got a quick decision to make. One is, is it a real badge or is it a fake badge? Because Lord knows you can buy a fake badge for five bucks on the internet and I too could be an FBI agent by tomorrow. Okay? It's that easy. And so you've got to make a discernment. After you've decided whether it's fake or real, you have a second choice. Will you respond to that authority or will you blow it off? Well, let me just give you a quick lesson on how law enforcement works. If it's a real badge and they have real authority and you blow it off, They'll blow something else off of you, right? I mean, people have gotten shot for being told, put down that cell phone, and they don't put it down. They wave it around menacingly. It's just a cell phone. And people get shot for that. When somebody has authority and they're saying, look, pull over, drop it, stop moving, and you decide that that authority doesn't apply to you, well, if it's a real authority, there will be a consequence. There will be an accounting for your decision. That's the nature of real authority, is it's not made real by your decision to acknowledge it. Real authority applies whether you want to succumb to it voluntarily or will be made to succumb to it. That's the nature of it. And I really believe that one of the most common, prevalent, unrepented sins in American Christianity is the casual way we disregard the authority of God. We talk about God like he's somehow the chief suggestion officer of our corporation. You know, I heard a sermon today, and yeah, that's pretty good advice. I like that. I might might consider it. I might think about that. We read something in the Bible and say, God, you're pretty smart. I like that clever idea. One of these days, I'm going to get around to trying that out. We deal with God as though his authority is like a $5 badge I bought on eBay. And I think this is the root of so much of what we're seeing in the weakness of the American church is that God is not permitted in our eyes to be the God of authority, which He properly is. Now look, God's authority is in no way diminished in essence because of our rebellion. But God's authority in your life will be very skewed if you blow it off. And the truth is... God's authority is not something to be feared or shunned. It is something that gives life to us. It's important that we have it. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now listen, I know that God is invisible. He doesn't live in Columbus, Ohio. Okay? He's invisible and he's everywhere, and that might make it a little difficult for you to acknowledge him. But the Bible promises us that for the heart that seeks God out, 
that heart will find God. That heart will see all over the world in so many different places in our lives that God is revealing himself to us. And so it says acknowledge God. It doesn't say imagine him or conjure him up because God is always there. The task given to us is not to pretend he's there, but to look for him, to include him, to reroute our lives and see everything through the lens of God. In 1984, in, in his, in his uh, novel written in 1949, but called 1984, George Orwell described an imaginary country called Oceania. How many of you read 1984? I was a junior in AP Lit in 1984, and I read 1984 in school in 1984. How cool was that? It's awesome. We're like, this is nothing like what the world is like right now. But you know what? We're getting closer, aren't we? Because he imagined a, a country where a, a dictator called Big Brother kept tabs on everybody through video and audio surveillance. Personal privacy was obliterated. The government knew your every move and your every word. Well, today in America, we have an estimated 30 million security surveillance cameras all over the place, many of them run by the government. These cameras record around 4 billion hours of footage every single week. And they say by some estimates the average American, meaning average meaning those people who actually get out of their house every now and then, the average American is captured on security camera like 200 times a day. If you watch 24, you would think that you could find anything by looking at security camera footage. But the truth is we are captured quite a bit. And so there's this idea, is this what it means when God is to be acknowledged that he's everywhere? is this ominous feeling that God is always watching you. Listen, kid. God is watching you. When you're alone in your bedroom with the Internet, He's watching you. He's always looking over your shoulder. Is that the emotional feeling we're supposed to have when we hear that God's everywhere and we're called to acknowledge Him? That somehow God has become Orwell's big brother, the big eye in the sky? Well, technically it's true that God sees everything, but he doesn't intend for us to respond to him in fear and hiddenness, resenting the invasion of our privacy. What's interesting is the word acknowledge in Hebrew is a very, very special word. It's the Hebrew word yada. I'm not trying to show off my Hebrew prowess. It's just one word you've got to know. This word yada is the same word that the Hebrew uses for polite language for sex. It's the word that, when you read like the old King James Version, it says, Adam knew Eve. You're like, big deal, I, I know Eve too. No, no, not like Adam knew Eve. That word yada is Adam went to his wife Eve and yada, yada, yada. You know, like he, <laughs> he knew her, if you know what I mean. It is the most intimate kind of knowing that we can imagine. And what it says is don't just run from God like the big security camera in the sky because that's not at all the way God wants to relate to us. But to acknowledge him the way you acknowledge a trusted friend, a familiar face, the way you acknowledge somebody you trust to watch your children when you're gone. You know, we don't acknowledge God's authority simply because of his position and title, but it's the kind of authority that comes from the many years of journeying together. The many demonstrations in the past of love and care and provision which God has sent in your way. 
It's that basis upon which God's authority is really forged. It's not just because He is God with a capital G, but He is God who is near, who has made His name known to you, and who has very amply demonstrated His presence and His love for you throughout the course of your life. If you look for Him, you'll see Him. And it is this kind of knowing which God craves from us. That's what it means to acknowledge God in all your ways is to interact with God as though He's someone you welcome into your life, not as someone intruding into your life through surveillance. And the one who acknowledges God in this way, the Bible promises us that our paths will be made straight. That word straight not only means righteous, it also means smooth, free of unnecessary turbulence. Some of us could use a little freedom from turbulence and drama in our lives. Could we not? Do you ever feel like your life is just jagged? Like if, you had a, if your life was a car, you would need a new steering system because it's just all over the place. And you wonder, why does life have to be like this? Why is life a new drama, a new mess every single month it seems? I clear up one stupid thing and another one takes its place. You know what that's about? If we don't acknowledge God, that will be the path of our lives. That's what the Bible says. It's not what I'm saying. It says that life will be crooked. But as we acknowledge and relate to this God who is our friend, the path of our life, the journey, straightens out. It becomes smoother. And it's not perfect, but I promise you this, you will be free of all unnecessary turbulence, which is nothing more than the fruit of your sinfulness. There's going to be turbulence that shapes and sharpens us, that achieves God's purposes, but you'll be free of the consequences of foolishness, which, let me tell you, I think is, accounts for at least two-thirds of suffering in our country today. That's not a scientific number. I'm just throwing it out there. You could debate me if you'd like to, but I think so much of our troubles are because we're foolish and we're paying the price for it. Let me give you one last mark of wisdom. Oh, it's a nice picture of a security camera there. All right. Wisdom is being teachable under discipline. The glorious wooden spoon, just a cooking utensil in some households, but oh, so much more in my house. Isn't that right, son? Listen to what the Bible says. My son... Do you see how he's starting this unpleasant bit about spankings and whatnot? He's beginning it with a very, very important address. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I want you to chew on that for a minute. When we are disciplined... Even though we don't like it, it's a sign that we are loved. I don't think I've ever met anybody, well, no, that's not true. I've met a few guys who are a little twisted. They like discipline and getting yelled at. They, they've actually come up to me and said, can you yell at me a little bit? I'm, it's been a while since I've been yelled at. There's a problem there. You should come see me again. Nobody really likes to get disciplined. Nobody likes to have pointed out to them that what they've done is wrong and there's a better way. What we like to imagine instead is that we're actually pretty good just the way we are and everybody else has a problem. 
So what if my breath smells? Your nose is too sensitive. You know, that's the way we walk through life. We say, you know what, my, your fly's open. Well, don't look, don't look then, you pervert. And we blame everybody for our stuff. That's the way human nature is. We're normal, we're right, everybody else is in a conspiracy to give us grief. But the truth is that we are all of us works in progress. None of us is perfect. And because none of us is perfect, if we're wise about it, we'll acknowledge that we will always benefit from good discipline and correction. I want to know when what I've done or thought is off the mark. Because I don't want to walk around with my fly open all day not knowing that I'm embarrassing myself and perhaps offending others. Now, discipline is usually proportional to the offense. We don't give the death penalty for jaywalking in America. Isn't that true? I mean, you should, you should always link the two together so that the punishment and the offense are proportional. But you know what? It's not just like that. In our house, and I think in, in life in general, discipline is also proportional to teachability. Discipline is proportional to teachability. When our children have a minor offense, we have a very calm way of addressing it. Children, it's Friday, the garbage needs to be brought in. That's the way we correct them. Verbally, we tell them, and sometimes a little more sharply in our tone, but it's Friday, the garbage cans need to be brought back in the house. Now that's the first try. That's the first discipline or correction is you might not have remembered, so let me just give you a little, a little 411. It's time to bring it in. And I wait. And I watch. And based on that gentle reminder, if what I get is, pew, 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 what? And if they just blow it off, they're going to get a second, perhaps less friendly sounding reminder. Hey! It's Friday, dummy. Go do your chore before something worse happens to you. What have I done? I've escalated because the offense is the same, but he's adding to it rebellion, insubordination, a lack of teachability. And because I love my children too much to leave them that way, I'm not going to just blow it off and go, well, I don't care what kind of person you become. I'm going to unleash you into the world a completely rebellious, insubordinate human being. Forget it. No, because that's my child carrying my last name, and because I love them, I'm going to make sure that they learn this. And so the third try, I speak with a piece of wood shaped like a spoon. And, and, and they get a nice little reminder that when Daddy talks, it's not because I like the sound of my own voice. Now what happened there? The discipline got harsher incrementally because the stubbornness of the heart grew along with it. Even though the original offense remains the same, if you will not learn, God won't just drop it. Some of us, as irresponsible parents, that's what we do. Oh my gosh, I had a terrible day at work. I don't have time for this drama. Forget it this time. Just leave them alone. Let it go. And each time you do that, your children pay a price, and the world pays a price for your child being unleashed upon us later. I'm sorry, it's the truth. God is a different kind of parent. He's got a lot of time. He's got a lot of energy. And he loves us so much that he will never just drop it. If we need to learn something and we won't be teachable, he will come after us louder and louder until we learn it. And that's why it says, listen, don't be a fool and despise the Lord's discipline. 
Don't grow weary of it, weary of it and roll your eyes and go, oh gosh, I'm so sick of this. The longer you do that, the longer he's got to keep coming at you until your heart will bend and learn from him. Because he loves us too much, just leave us as we are. And if you will not learn, you'll be in the doghouse a very long time with the Lord. And so the mark of wisdom, as the writer of Proverbs is telling his own son, most likely Solomon here, is telling his own son, and as God is telling us, when you feel you are under the Lord's discipline, it is a very foolish move to blow it off or fight it because that's a necessary work in us. And the longer you fight it, the bigger the spoon's got to get until you finally listen for your benefit and for the world's benefit. And if you are not teachable, then it's hard having you in our world with us because you are out of control. No one can talk to you. Do you guys know anyone like that? Don't look at them. Just raise your hand. Very discreet. Be like, like that. You know, do you know anyone like that? Just everybody who tries to say anything to them, they get punished hard. Like a velociraptor. They just get swiped. Just because you're trying, it's like, who needs the extra drama? Why am I even bringing it up to you? Because I love you too much to just leave you alone. And we're out there just punishing the people who take the risk of telling us that there's something not 100% with us. And because they love us, they want to let us know. Let me tell you, there's a great proverb later on. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. I love that proverb. I want to make a t-shirt of it for all our children. Make, make them wear it. Listen, it's the mark of a fool that you've got to get hit a hundred times and you're still like, huh? What? That's the mark of a fool. A hundred lashes and you still have no clue why you're going through this. God says, if you paid attention, we would have stopped at one. What is going on with us? A person of understanding doesn't even need a lash. A rebuke is enough. What's that? You know, you're right. I should change this. You're absolutely right. Thanks for bringing it up. Where does this kind of discipline come from? I think it comes from a number of sources. Let me just tell you a couple. Sometimes it just comes from your own inner voice. God, through his Holy Spirit, is whispering to you, Hey, dummy, you were a little mean yesterday, weren't you? You ever heard yourself lately, the way you talk? Shh, calm down. And that little gentle whisper in your voice, that's the Holy Spirit, direct connection, person-to-person call. Sometimes it comes from the Bible. You're reading something and a verse just starts to really bother you. A lot of times you can recognize this conviction because you're angry. You read it and you get really mad about what you just read. And you go, God's wrong! I'm still right. That's a sure sign that God's trying to tell you something through the Bible. Another source is setbacks and frustrations where you're like, I cannot win for losing. I mean, every other turn, there's a setback. Why can't I catch a break? And when you feel like that, it's not always your fault, but it's a wise person who starts asking, is there something off in my life? What is, something's trying to get my attention here. What might it be? And if you'll be attentive, sometimes the circumstances of your life will, will rebuke you or convict you. And I think another source, one last one I'll give you that we really need to be mindful of and open to, is that very often God speaks to us and disciplines us through the loving correction of a trusted friend. And if somebody you love 
who loves you is trying to say something to you that's not easy to hear. Please don't push them away or punish them for taking that risk. It's a huge thing they've done for you. They're taking a big risk. And if you punish them, you will definitely silence every voice of correction in the world around you. Effectively, what you're saying then is, I am like God because God cannot speak to anyone but me alone. Please be open. And some of you right now, this is very applicable. There is someone in your life right now who has been trying to say stuff. Sort of the way that one guy, Milton on office space, is asking for a stapler back. Very, uh, I believe he had my stapler. You know, they're, they're trying to say it in a very passive, aggressive kind of just, uh, but they're afraid to just say it to you because they're scared of you. Let the people around you know that it's safe to challenge you. Because if you'll let them, they will be God's instrument in helping you grow. Let me close my, my talk here with this one last a couple verses from Proverbs here. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. This is the plea of God for you. The world simply does not need any more fools. Washington's full of them. I'm kidding, I shouldn't get political. But really, the world does not need any more fools. What the world needs more of are spiritual MacGyvers, man. People who understand how it works. They know God. They process and navigate the world through the Creator's lens. And because of it, they and those who journey with them will experience paths that are straight, victory, freedom from unnecessary turbulence, protection and safety, and all the other things promised to us as the virtues and values for those who gain wisdom in this life. If you are not wise, it's available to you now. And the Bible commands what it offers freely. Get wisdom if it costs you everything, get it. Amen? Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.